Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hello, Guthrie. How are you? Ah, man, I am doing well. So we have been on what can only be described as a long hiatus. uh, Very, Well, that that implies we were on vacation. We were on a podcast hiatus. Uh, We were busy working. We've just been working the entire time. Working, uh, working, working. Working, working, working. Um, so uh, we should probably do just a just an update, a grand update, and then we're going to talk a little shop. Um, I feel just we've noticed some things as we are now into year two of the pandemic, which you know what I don't know. It, it doesn't probably not going away anytime soon. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh God, don't but say it, that. But it, but well, but at least yeah, at least yeah. Uh, it, the, the way that we work, the way teams are being structured, the way that... That probably won't go away. Yeah, and so and so now that it looks like the... Uh, have you ever heard of this idea of uh, corporate memory? Well, I mean, I talk about corporate memory, but I'm not sure you're talking about the same thing I'm talking about. Um, so, so, well, there's a thing called cor- institutional memory. Is what yeah. it's called, and yeah. it has a lot of economic benefits. So, the th- when the pandemic first hit, everyone was laying people off. The reason the government jumps in and does, for example, the in America the PPP Act, which was basically if you kept people on payroll, you got money. The thing is, is that there is value to people, uh, like being in a job, knowing a role, being in a team. There's, yeah. there's a memory beyond an individual, but that an institution has of a way it does things. And you, you can't just reinvent that overnight with new hires. I, I have a story about that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll explain it and you can tell your story. Okay. Um, so so this, this big thought is that the goal then when uh, economic downturn hits is to try to re- re- reduce that as much as possible so that then the, when the, the business comes back... Yeah, you're not you're not starting from scratch, um, and many sectors unfortunately didn't heed this advice. So in the United States, uh, tons of trucking companies, seeing there was a pandemic, fired all of their great truck drivers, <laughs> and now of course they can't find people to replace them, and it's a whole mess. Um, so, w- with that said, just because there is an institutional memory doesn't mean that that can't change, but it takes time. So you're not going to do it in a month. You're not going to do it in three months. But two years of remote teamwork might start, you know, and if we start going into year three, we might start to see more permanent changes in how teams are functioning. And that's sort of the shop that we wanted to talk about. So go ahead and tell your your story. Oh, well, uh, I had a situation where I was facilitating a group meeting in Arizona for a large financial organization that I will leave nameless. And this was like uh, mid and upper management. They This was way, a long time ago, so definitely pre-pandemic when we all met in person. And they had like these quarterly meetings, and they invited me to come in and give a talk on user experience and all of that. And so... Uh, as part of their meeting. So there were maybe 20 people in the room, and I gave my talk, and then we were having a, 
a pretty long Q&A and discussion about user experience in at this company. And one of the people said, well, uh, you know, why don't we have a dedicated user experience team at our company? And they and several of them were like, yeah, why don't we have that? And I said, well, you used to. And they said, what? I said, you've actually had three. Over the last 15 years, you have had three different dedicated UX teams. And I started to talk about because I had worked with all three of them. And they did not have institutional memory about this because of what you were saying. There, they, they were constantly doing reorgs. There was a lot of, they, they had a pretty high turnover rate at the company in general. There were always people coming and people going and people moving around. And none of the people in the room who had been there quite a while, these were not all new hires, none of them even knew or remembered, the, the institution did not remember, that they used to have a team of people to work on user experience. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. I was their institutional memory. <laughs> that was scary. Well, it's That's a good story. Ha- it's happened to me a lot, though, that I'll be talking to to somebody and say, yeah, I worked with you guys a long time ago. And in a galaxy far, far away. Well, yeah, but they really don't have any records. Like all the work that was done. You know, the personas that we did, the task flows, who knows where it is? They didn't know. It's a lot of, it's a lot of research and work and that gets wasted that way, you know? So, okay. Um, so let's, uh, yeah. And so th- that's, that's sort of a summary of some of the stuff that I'd like to cover today. Um, okay. I want to start with a very quick uh, recap of what we've been doing just okay. like two minutes three minutes is this so that you and i remember or <laughs> to share with our listeners gotcha uh, you, you mean to share with our listeners yeah do you want to go first or you want me to go first no you you go first you, oh. you go for it so uh, what you know you got to start let's start at like you want to start uh like we got to do like the last 18 months whoa well, because we—that's <laughs> a long—that's a long time. Well, we've we've only done a couple podcasts, and the podcasts yeah, we've done most have mostly them, just been like guest podcasts that yeah, have been about true. other topics. We haven't been talking a lot about what we've been doing. Okay, what the heck have Susan and Guthrie been doing for the last eighteen months? Well, I took a long nap. No, not true. As you said, we've been working a lot. Well, I'll—I'm just doing this. I don't have any prepared notes or anything. Maybe I'll remember what I did for the last eighteen months. Um. We have been doing, surprisingly, I I don't think we thought this was going to be true, but we've been doing a lot of um, workshops and speaking engagements, which we thought would disappear during the pandemic and which did disappear in terms of being in person, but did not disappear. And they all switched to, and we got a lot of new ones, uh, you know, all virtual. And... We've been doing an awful lot of those. So some of them are like, you know, a two-hour workshop or a three-hour, but we've done full-day workshops. We've done workshops that are, are normally two days long, but we've broken them up into multiple days of two and a half hours each that get done over, you know, a three-week period. 
We've, um, like I said, lots of keynote talks. So, so that part of our business ha- has stayed really strong. So we've been doing a lot of that. We've been doing uh, what we call staff augmentation, meaning we've been interviewing and bringing on board different um, people as contractors who then, because we have a lot of clients who need a lot of work done and like everybody else are having a hard time hiring necessarily full-time staff um, or they want some flexibility in how, how much staff they have at any one point. So we've been helping them by providing them with contractors. And then the other thing that I think is really interesting, um, our consulting work has actually increased. But a lot, And it, I find the consulting work that we've been doing really fun and really interesting. We're doing a lot of uh, mentoring work and, um, you know, helping people within an organization uh, grow and learn more and do their work more efficiently, more effectively. And we've been doing a lot of what I consider um, strategy work, you know, UX, either design strategy or research strategy with our clients, uh, you know, helping the whole team be more effective, increasing their Im- the impact of the UX research and or the UX design team inside the organization. So, and you've been involved in those. And um, so that's been kind of fun. But, uh, and then on top of all that, some of the time we've been continuing to work on our, um, you know, our, our books and online training and things that are not directly, you know, work for clients. Right. Yeah. So, um, did we, I cover everything? Uh, that was that was a pretty good summary. That was a pretty good summary. I wanted to go fast. I didn't want to, you know, belabor the belabor. Did I forever. did I belabor the point? No. Oh, okay. Good. Um, but yeah, you didn't belabor the point. It's more like uh, I just wanted to give a sense of what we were working on, so that we could people could kind of understand the context by which we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know the the UX and the consulting world in a time of remote work. Shop talk. Shop talk. H- hashtag shop talk. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. So how do we do shop talk? Because I'm not okay. sure exactly what this means. You said you wanted to do record a podcast episode and have it be shop talk, and I said okay, but I I'll be honest, I don't know what we're doing. Well, let me give you a question. Thank you. So the first question I have for you is how can you do UX remotely and still have it be good? Is it is it better? I recall um, the reason I ask if it's better or easier. uh, I for just for example, we have a client who needs to for for user testing user studies. Um, recruit a very rare technical, they have a very rare technical uh, user um, group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just highly technical, rare people to find. And it was very hard to find people, even recruiters would have trouble. And yeah. because of the remote nature of everything, they went to LinkedIn to try to find stuff. And it's been the easiest, cheapest way they've been recruiting people left and right, uh, like hotcakes there so is there is is there any benefit 
to having UX teams not be remote? Yeah, I mean, there's benefits. Oh, not be remote, be in person. I mean, there's benefits and there's disadvantages. So I, I think some of the things we're missing, if the work that we're doing is all remote, there's definitely things that we're missing. Um, and so some of those, I think, are, you know, I, I'm a fan of uh, collaborative design. I'm a fan of getting the stakeholders, the development team, the UX people, the product manager, the product designers, the visual designers, you know, all in a room. And we're going to take the next whatever, three hours, day, three days, five days, you know, if you're going with like the, the Google Sprint idea. But we're going to take this period of time and we are going to hash out the design of this or that or this part of the product. And I mean, I've been doing that type of collaborative design work um, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, I, it's, it's effective. You, you get everybody together in the room, you hash it all out, you sketch, you design, you, and then you document afterwards, and you make really good progress. It is not the same doing that online and remote. And the reason is that you can, certainly you can do some of it. Certainly you can have a meeting and have everyone there. And yes, you can have, you know, like a Miro or a mural uh, whiteboard thing and everyone can be writing on the whiteboard and so on. But uh, you can't write on the whiteboard in quite the same way. It's still not the same. And you can't, you just can't, bring everyone people are not going to sit and work collaboratively uh online that way you can't do a three-day sprint you can't even do a full day sprint you can't even do a half day sprint they have so many other online meetings scheduled already and and it's just you know it, you just can't sit in front of a screen like that for that long so um i, I think we're losing that capability and i think that's hindering hindering design. So that's one example. Uh, do you want me to give me another one or do you want to comment on that? Uh, if you have another one, loaded. Yeah, for it. I have another one, which is, you know, sometimes the things we, we are designing or working on um, or sometimes the things we need to do research on, like uh, getting feedback from users or do a user test, are things that combine the physical world with the digital world. You know, so you can do user test uh, or get user feedback on a, you know, on an, on a software, right? You can have the person uh, load up the prototype and run it, you know, as the, and they can do that remotely. That's no problem. But what if you need to do it? Uh, on a mobile, uh, okay, then there, there you're simulating the mobile on the computer screen, not the same thing. You're not there with them seeing how they're actually using the mobile device. Or let's go a step further. What if what you need to test or research is a combination of doing something, for instance, on your phone while interacting with the real world? We need to see 
if people will use their phone in the store in order to get more details about the product, but they're going to use their phone to look up the details online. Yes, we can simulate that, but we can't do it in the store because we're doing it remotely. So there's just, we've, I've had in the last 18 months, numerous situations where we're doing a combined physical digital and we have to simulate it, but we can't do the actual physical digital. And, and that I think is a real disadvantage. And what we're finding is when we now, uh, you know, cause some teams are starting to do things more, um, out in the real world. And so they, they've been maybe planning and working and doing some testing remotely for a year. And now they're, they're starting to do, you know, meet with, with real people out in the real world. And they're finding, you know, oops, <laughs> like a bunch of our assumptions about the physical space are way off. And now they're going to have to back up and do redesign. So I think it's, it's harmed, uh, you know, it's, it's going to mean rework and it's slowed us down. Mm. And, and I, and I think, uh, I don't see a way around that in the long term. There's some things I think you need to do in person. I I think one of the other, I don't want to say worrying things, but I wonder if people in our audience can, can, um, what's the word? Not commiserate. I don't know. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Um, it's the word when you feel the same as the person who's talking. So it's not fine. Empathize? Empathize? Yeah, yes. What yes. happened to your brain today? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> this is, I, I go, you know, we go we go a bunch of months without a podcast, and I'm 100% rusty. I can't even, <laughs> I don't even know how to talk anymore. All right. Empathize. That's the word. Yeah. Um, commiserate, empathize, something like that. With this, with, with this sentiment, I mean, I know a lot of people in the industry generally do sort of feel like UX is sometimes, sh- you know, uh, shuttled off into a closet somewhere, and they're sort of like, okay, go, go play, go do your thing, have fun, okay, we'll see you in three months, <laughs> bye. <laughs> You know, and they, you know, were, whereas, you know, the, the dev teams are the ones that are actually, you know, the, you know, in the main, in the main room. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know there's a sentiment amongst UXers out there that maybe their work isn't valued by their organization to the same extent as other teams. Um, and one of the things I'm worried about is... Now that we're remote, I mean, there were, I, I think for a lot of people, you know, there was the developer planning production marketing meeting on Tuesdays in the morning that the UX person could show up to, could be the voice in the room, could be, hey, okay, hey, here's a five minute update about, you know, what they're doing. Um... And I I do worry that with this sort of, I don't know, there's even almost more silos now because everything's remote. 
um, that it it has really uh, made some of the UX team and work even more invisible. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying. I wonder if there's a difference between, you know, I mean, when you have a meeting at corporate, you know, in the office, I mean, there's still, it's still a formal meeting that has to be set up because you got to see what room's available and, and all of that. But somehow these online meetings with the calendar and the invite, it, it somehow seems different. I know I've had I think I've had situations where, you know, if I had just been in the building, someone would say, hey, why don't you drop by, you know, what you're saying, or even not a meeting, right? Just can you come by and talk to me about this? And now it's like everything has to be a formal, right? I mean, you can't just drop by, right? Right. You're either invited to the meeting or you're not because you need the link to even get in. It's not like you can just go you, to you the gotta meeting be, room. You got to be invited, and everyone is so busy yes, because there's so everyone many online has, meetings. Right, they take I so know, long. I know. So, and it's not like you can just drop by someone's desk or you know run into them in the cafeteria. Or say, half people are at the office, and half the people are at home. Yeah, and people yeah. come in a day it's or two. Complicated. Yep. So that's that is definitely something that I worry a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how that's how that can be overcome. I think we have become more used to working alone mm-hmm. now. And, uh, you know, some people like it, some people don't like working alone. But uh, it doesn't, it seems like... It, and, and I'd love to hear from some of our listeners on this because I've talked to some some of my clients on this where it's like, I don't know, why should I go into the office unless I have a particular meeting? It seems like we a weird idea to go now into a building in an office but then work alone, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like if I'm just going to be working alone, I might as well just stay home and do it. Like, why am I coming into the building? Because I do that at home, work alone. And you're really one to speak on this because, I mean, you go into, you drive hours every day to get to your office. <laughs> you're you're being sarcastic. She works from home. Because you know that I work from home. And I've worked from home. I mean, I've worked from home for a long time. And even when I had an office building for my office, it was six blocks away (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i you know many years ago i did a lot of commuting and i understand commuting but um i am very happy that for many years now i've not had to commute although for many of those years i did a lot of traveling right Mm -hmm. you know but not daily commuting did you know that in one research study and but this was from quite a long time ago i mean maybe like 10 years ago uh when you when you looked at factors that made people the most unhappy about their work situation and their life in general at the top of the list was commuting i think that's pretty obvious um, people who, really who don't loves like their commute. Commuting. He's out there like, oh my god, 
I wish my commute was longer. I need... I need 45 minutes each way. 35 is just not long enough. Although, although, although there is an interesting thing for, for everyone now who has experienced not commuting. There's an interesting phenomenon where you, you don't get any more or often don't get transition time. And that creates its own stress. So it used to be that when you did commute, even if it wasn't a long commute, there was this transition from I'm at work, now I do my traveling, and now I'm at home. And during that transition... Go to the bar after work with friends. No, not even that. Not even that. Just sitting in the car and listening to the radio or being on the the train and, you know, watching a video or something. You had this time period where you could make the switch from the the persona the work persona to the home persona and if you don't have that if if your transition is i open the office door and go into the living room uh or or maybe i don't even open the office door because i just work in the living room and so now i just put my laptop down and go into the kitchen to make dinner without a transition it can often be jarring and you can find yourself having a hard time letting go of work. So I'm with my family now. I'd like to interact with my family, but I'm still thinking about work because it was only 30 seconds ago that I was working. So uh, one of the things I recommend to people is you need to give yourself a transition. So if you are working from home, do something in between you know, the work time and the home time to provide that transition. You know, go for a walk, um, do a short nap, go meditate, uh, you know, just do something that then becomes that transition, even if it's just for like five minutes. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I don't, uh, one thing I'm going to try and avoid is just to avoid this becoming another, you know, work from home. Okay, fine, I'll be quiet. No, no, that was good. That was good. All right. Uh, I, but what I want to stay on the UX. Go ahead. Go ahead. What the do you, UX what do you So, do so my, my next question to you then, because, yeah. We, yeah, we could do the working from home and the brain science yeah, of that. But that everybody be, does it. Well, I, I feel like we've done it. Maybe we haven't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care. Go ahead. Um, so the, <laughs> you don't care. <laughs> the next question yeah. is when we're talking about then uh sort of UX teams working as we move into the future. When yes. we're doing um, user testing, when yeah. we're planning our personas, yeah. should we start, you know, when, when we think of people using software, using an app, using a professional thing, I think our mental model is still a person in a suit at the office. Well, nobody wears suits. Does anybody wear suits? Oh, I went to law school, so like all of my friends wear suits all the oh, time. But okay. um okay, business casual, sorry. You know, right? Like yeah, when we think yeah. of like an engineer, right? Yeah. They're on the works though at the work site measuring right. stuff and Or they're in their office. Should we together start something? thinking about mental models of consumers and and professionals uh, in sweatpants? With their kids running around in their living room, like, like yeah, how it, how do yeah. we? Uh, I mean, should should this be 
a permanent change that we mm. start to take into effect, how can you account for this when we're dealing with user testing? Because there's the user testing of the product the way it was envisioned, which was without a pandemic and without people working from home. And you don't want to do all this user testing for something that's temporary, you know, but how, 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 how should people yeah. navigate this good, slippery good question. ground? I think, you know, part of, part of designing or evaluating or researching the user experience is always to include the context. It is. And you are right. I think the context of, you know, depending, of course, on what the thing is that you're designing, but um, I think there's a lot of software and apps for working people that are being used now in a different context than before. And even if it's, you know, it might be temporary, right? We might all end up back at the office and in the nicer clothes and without the kids running around. Um, but, but we don't know. There's, you know, trends say maybe we'll keep working at home at least some of the time. And it doesn't matter whether we do or not. Right now, that's that is the reality. So if you're designing something that people are going to be using within the next six months, I think you have to take context into account. And you know, we know that context matters, and we know that um, if there are distractions, that changes uh, how people interact with the product. We know that you know if now they're interacting on a laptop or a mobile more than a big desktop with a gigantic monitor because they don't have that gigantic monitor at home all the time. Uh, you know, that might change our design. Uh, if there's noise in the background or if our app produces noise, that might be problematic. You know, all those things mm. matter. So mm. you always have to take context into account. Yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, I just, the train, I mean, I'm sure people on the podcast are, can will hear if you listen closely, the, the train rumble by as I am in my condo near the train tracks. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, something that I don't think Microsoft Teams necessarily was thinking of when they designed their noise suppression uh, algorithms. That people would be working from home, or, or your or your daughter yelling, "Daddy, Mama," <laughs> or the or the dog barking, or the cat meowing. You have that. Um, I am amazed. Uh, yes, for a little inside baseball, there's a very old, um, sort of disheveled cat named Mr. Steve who wanders around. And he, he's very large and has a very large personality. In your condo. Let's In my condo, yeah. And um, he uh, basically just does whatever he wants at all times. And so <laughs> right before, he, he has the loudest meow he does. Of, of, of any cat. And so he was just meowing constantly for lunch. And so right before this podcast, I had to, you know, normally if I'm working, I can just be working. But because I'm, you know, working from home, um, I have to strategically like plan his lunch out. He when has he gets the trained you very well. He yes. So now you, he's asleep you on get the bed. Out the so headphones I can do a podcast. on the mic. You get the headphones and the microphone out, and he's like, "Oh, 
he wants me to be quiet. I'm going to start making lots of noise so he'll give me the treats yeah. to shut I need a larger place with a dedicated recording room because... Uh, so I, I finished up, for those of you who don't know, the entire ethics certificate and the behavioral Yay. economics certificate. Those are up and published at course.theteam.com or the fundamentals are on YouTube. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it was like I'm at the end of an 18-minute segment that I'm just <laughs> crushing that's really complicated about these, like, really tough concepts. And I'm I'm doing the big sort of finale and right halfway through the finale, the cat. No, no. So, anyways, the joys of working from home. Yeah. Um, so here, here's another. Here's an, what. Here's another question for you yes. about, about the UX teams because um, this is sort of this is sort of working pretty well. Okay. Um, do you think this changes your opinion? I mean, I know this is going to be organizationally specific right so i don't want to say that one you know that it's going to be the same everywhere but there is a little bit of a battle between a dedicated ux team or ux people sort of embedded within other teams yes that's always um, been true either in legitimate structure right so let's like this is this is the marketing team but we have a marketing person who kind of specializes in UX and does some of that stuff, even though they're part of the marketing team. Yeah. Or in unofficial structure. So technically you're part of the UX team, but all the meetings you attend are just the dev meetings with the developers. Yeah. Right? You're sort of put on a team as the UX person versus, okay, we have eight, you know, usability professionals on a call and we're working on all the different projects that we're working on. Um, do you think that this sort of new world of uh, of the way teams are being structured favors or disfavors one one way over the other, either the more embedded in other teams or the more, you know, just the UXers all by themselves? Or is it just totally up to the organization and the specifics probably haven't changed? Hmm. Well, I think this embedded versus not embedded, you know, that that has that conversation or discrepancy or contention or whatever you want to call it has been around for a long time and is still very much with us. Uh, although I think there have been some changes recently in that I don't think I don't think I could be wrong that it has anything to do with the working remotely versus not. So I don't think the remote work work versus not real remote work has changed that, but I think it is changing for other reasons. Okay, that's the mis- mystery answer. Okay, but but you you gonna say what the other reasons are? If you want me to, I will. Yes. So okay, so I think there are two trends going on, very fairly recently that are affecting whether UX people are embedded or not embedded. And one of those trends uh, is something called um, continuous discovery. And I'm actually gonna be, I'm I'm currently working on a presentation about this uh, for a client. And I'm gonna be talking about it within the next week or so, two weeks. There is this whole movement, 
and this comes out of product teams and product management, there's this whole movement to do research continuously. Now, that sounds like a great idea to me, but uh, there's some interesting twists to it. So, you know, we know that, you know, uh, agile teams and continuous delivery of products, you know, that's a big thing. It's been around for quite a while. Very, very, very popular. But now what's happening is uh, research and getting feedback and doing user tests and doing user research and UX research work um, has become a very good idea. It's become extremely popular. But in the continuous delivery world, they now are using the term continuous discovery, meaning that we should be continually doing research, which I think is a great idea. Now, I have a lot of problems with the plan of this. <laughs> uh, that, that is another conversation we can tackle or not tackle. But let's just say that um, although you might think that this would mean that you'd want a UX person embedded in the team because you want them to do continuous discovery or continuous research. It's actually not true, really, because the whole continuous discovery thing is coming up because the teams want to do the research themselves. So they don't want to embed a UX person because they just want to do it. So that actually is making them think about UX less embedded rather than more embedded. Mm. So that's, that's one trend I'm seeing. The other thing is, let's talk again about user research. You know, UX work, right? There's a lot of different kinds of UX work. There's UX design, there's UX research, there's UX strategy. I mean, there's a lot of things that might be part of this thing called working on the user experience. And for many years, the biggest piece of that was, I think, UX design. So, you know, they wanted someone to work on the design of the product or service from a UX point of view. Uh, and, and the designers would often say, well, before we do all this design, we should do some research. And for a long time, in a lot of in a lot of organizations, the the UX you know who does the UX research was maybe not separate from who did the UX design. You know, the designer would do the design, and they would also do the research and the user testing. But what's happened in the last two years is the whole world of UX research has just exploded. And it's, I mean, I remember Guthrie, and you may remember this, not that long ago, we had to try and talk clients into doing more user research. It's like, you know, you guys really should do some user testing, and you really should do some upfront work to make sure you understand your target audience, and that you gotta, you know, maybe we should do some customer journey maps, or maybe we should do some task flows. And You know, it was like we were trying to get people to do it, and they were like, oh, really? Do we have to do that? And now they, it's like, right, what's the, what's the most 
requested position we have for our staff augmentation right now. It's, it's research. It's just exploded. And I think that's great because I love research, user research. But that means that um, I think it, is, it has moved us again away from an embedded UX person and more towards having a central uh, research group that, you know, oh, I'm this project over here in the organization and I need some research done. So, do you, you know, I turn to the UX group and say, do you have someone who can do research for us on this project? So they're not as embedded. Um, you, of course, can have a UX researcher embedded, but I find they tend not to be. And so I think we have a trend away from embeddedness, if that's a, if that's a term. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, 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 there's pros and cons. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was a long answer. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's no, it's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, that's this. These are these are like kind of the 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 tough structural questions. Um, yeah. For sure. Okay. So, uh, did was there, was there any other aspects of of remote stuff that you wanted to that you wanted to touch on? Let no, me see. Totally I I don't think nothing that comes to the to top of mind. No. Okay. Um. So, uh, the next sort of just little mini section here. I think we have time for, for one or two more small things. Okay. Um. So when when we're talking about, uh, hiring, in the United States, it's a pretty tight climate. Yeah. There are there are more positions than there are people to fill them, right? Yeah. What about it? Well, is it worth trying to go out and hire UX people, or if you need these roles filled, should you maybe focus on training people who are there, who you already have in other departments and getting maybe Lex? less of an expert but more of a generalist and having sort of a lot of uh, you, you, you know um, we we know people who are in the UX field but did not start there um, yeah yeah and it, it's you know people who are just they, they have a they have a toe they've dipped a toe in and now they're yeah. being do it they're doing yep. some UX stuff but they're very they're sort of novice but yeah okay I, I have opinions on this. The answer is yes and no. Uh-huh. Schrod- Schrodinger's opinion. <laughs> okay, so it's always been true. It's always been true that, you know, you've had an option of taking your internal people who know your products and services, who ha- maybe have some really deep, uh, complicated subject matter expertise, right, which can v- be very helpful. You know, so you have this extremely technical, medical you know, you create medical devices and you have these people who know a lot about the medical field you're in. And, you know, you can you can take them and if they're interested, you know, they can become, get trained and become UX people. Or you can go out and try and find a UX person who has that medical device knowledge, right? I mean, that's tough. So there's always been pros and cons of taking your internal people and having them go into a UX role 
versus hiring a specialist. I guess what I would say about that is that um, over time, uh, you know, the body of knowledge and skills that are necessary to understand and do in order to be a UX designer, in order to be a UX researcher, in order to be a UX strategist, that body of knowledge has been growing. There is more that you need to know and be able to do than was true 20, 30 years ago. So certainly someone, you know, I, I think almost anyone or many people can learn to do it, but it is a lot to learn. And so uh, if you're going to train people from inside, you really have to have a plan for how are you going to train them and what is it you're going to have them do. And, you know, what are some specialties that you might still have a specialist, a UX specialist do if, if it's needed. So I, I don't think anymore, I don't think it's a good idea to just take someone who is interested in UX and, you know, has been re, you know, okay, has read m m one of my books and now is going to be the UX person. I mean, they're going to need more than that. And I think that's one reason why we're doing so much mentoring, right? Um, is that there are people who are doing that. But having said that, there are a lot of ways to learn. There's some, there's a, a lot of excellent, excellent, uh, you know, UX certificate programs. And I'm not just talking about ours because we have one. But, you know, there's a lot of university. I just recently worked with a, with one of our clients in to take a look at all the different programs that were out there to help her decide which one would be best for her. There's a lot of different programs that, you know, you can take just one or two courses or you can take several courses and they're university type courses and you can do them online and, or, you know, you can earn a certificate or you can even, you know, get a master's degree. So I think there's ways to learn. And then I think if you have, have a mentor who will help you get experience, you know, maybe someone more senior in the company, I think you can put together a plan to do it. But I would not just take someone who says, I, I like this, I'd like to do more of it, and then plunk them in and have them do it. I, I think you're going to get, you know, I think it's going to be overwhelming for them, and, and you're not going to get the most efficient UX advice that way. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of that's my, my take on that. And... Um, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I, uh, you can go either way. I do want to say there are now a lot, a lot of masters programs in human computer interaction, you know, and that and so on. And so there are a lot of really good people. Uh, and Guthrie, we know because you know we 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 interview a lot of them for our staff augmentation business. There's a lot of really good people coming out of with a master's degree, some of whom also have some work experience, some of whom don't. But, you know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, if you want to hire someone who maybe, you know, isn't super experienced, but you'd like to grow them into it, uh, I think you got a lot of people to choose from. I mean, that's where, that's where I would tap people is Matt people coming out of those master's programs. There are master's programs all over the U.S. and other parts of the world, too, in, in HCI and uh, 
you got some talented people who do, you know, they may lack a lot of real world experience and you're going to have to mentor them too, but they have that basic knowledge and skill set that's really, really useful. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that was a, that was, that was a very complete answer. Oh, I guess that's good. Um, I don't have any more questions. I think, I think we've, so, so you, you mean the prosecutor is resting his case? Is that oh, the prosecutor rests his case, Your Honor. <laughs> I, I, I yield my time. Now, you've been asking me all the questions. Well, ask me questions. You can ask me Well, questions I don't have any time. specific questions, but do you have any thoughts on any of the stuff we've been talking about? Because I've been doing all the talking. I'll put you on the spot. Well, about, about which part? About any of it. No, you were just asking questions and then doodling on your piece of paper while I answered. Right? Yeah, see? No. We have proof. All right, I won't put you on the spot. No, you can put me on the spot, but you just say, I don't even know where to I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I don't know where to have you start either. What do you think? All right, I'll put you on the spot. What do you think uh, can you name one thing that you think will not go back to the way it was in terms of work. That one change that that this everyone working from home, that even when people start going back into the office, this one thing will not change. This has been a permanent change. Um, well, I can only talk about the... Uh, like Like, it's not like a... I can only talk about kind of where the median person is. How's that, right? Because there That's will still be still be people who do you know X and people who do Y. Yeah, exactly yeah. the same. The median person. Um, I think I think work attire has changed. I don't think it's maybe it'll claw back to business casual, um, but I think the level and effort that people are going to put into their appearance going into the office. Has the me- the medium has moved? Um, it's uh, you know, it's it's not even business casual. Yeah. It's just uh, what's one step beyond casual? Uh, biz- business leisure. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know? um, I'm not, and that doesn't mean it's not nice. It's just you know, like if a tux is over the top with embellishments that are unnecessary you know we've just moved a couple i know you know it's been interesting to watch over time right i think when we all started to to do all the you know remote video meetings i know for me personally you know i was wearing my sweatpants but you wouldn't know that and then uh you know uh, for my for above the waist, which would be on camera, I was wearing uh, my usual clothes, right? The stuff I would wear if I were coming into your office, which for me might be, you know, a nice shirt and a blazer or something like that. And then, like everybody else, over time, that just got came down a notch, you know, <laughs> to where we got to, you know, as long as it was a nice-looking T-shirt, um, you know, <laughs> that was all right. And, and I know what you mean because... You know, I go, I go in now. I started going back to teaching in the classroom because in the class I teach once a week at the University of Wisconsin, and I know I've, I've notched it down. 
to wear, you know, I used to wear all my usual business wear. And now, you know, I mean, I'm not showing up in sweatpants, but but it's definitely a notch down. So I think, yeah, I think comfort, you know, uh, comfort, which was always a big deal to me. I think it's, I think you're right. That, so we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see if this sticks. And uh, then, give you a few uh, more. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so that was one. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there is a work life balance mm. thing. These things are pendulums. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the 1800s, 1700s. I wasn't around. There, there, like, like your profession was your life. Mm. You know, um, you were a sharecropper. You lived on the land that you worked. Mm. You had a family farm. You lived on the land that you worked. Mm-hmm. You were a member of a guild. You. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, in the you know, if you were a blacksmith, mm-hmm. you lived where the blacksmith was, mm-hmm. um, or you know, you you walked down the street and back, and you mm-hmm. just sort of you're just working all the time, mm-hmm. and who you were as a profession, that's who you were as a person, mm-hmm. right? Like if you were the royal executioner. You weren't, you know, playing, you know, soccer on your afternoons mm-hmm. off. Like, that was, right. like, that's who you were. Right. Um, and then uh, the world became more corporatized. Corporations demanded a higher level of work. Um, the laborer had more options. You know, it's, you know, back in the day, yeah, if you weren't working 12 hours a day, you might starve because it was the 1600s and you're working the land, right? It's not great. But, you know, in sort of more modern societies, you're, you don't, you, you might not have to work as much and you could still be alive. And so this sort of started going too far. People started feeling like they were being exploited. And you have the workers' right move right movement in the early 1900s that on purpose a lot most of the big tenets of the workers rights movement was for to was to put up a wall well it was worker safety but also to put up a wall between work and not work yeah so i mean the idea of a 40 hour work week that you will only work a certain time period and then you yeah. will not work. Yeah. And those are separate things. But even before the pandemic, those lines have been getting blurred. Checking emails at home. Yeah. Always being on call. Um, you know, thinking of, pro- of the working on the presentation late at night, even if it's yeah, just in yeah. your head. It became harder and harder. Uh, I mean... I think most people who work salary jobs, I mean, that's sort of how companies skirted around the 40-hour work week is, oh, just make them salary. And then they just work an indefinite amount of time. Right. Just work all the time. And the, the, the blur between the two started creeping closer. And people started working more from home. Again, maybe it was just checking emails, but there was right. sort of a, I'm not done. 
right. not off. Right. Um, and I think mentally people weren't turning off. Right, right. Uh, which is maybe even more important is the I'm le- I'm literally leaving my work at work and not bringing right. it home. So um, harder to do when you have computers everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. a little easier if you are an architect working on drafts in the 60s and like literally you need the drafts that are in the office to do mm-hmm. the, you know, you just you can't do it at home. Can't bring it home, yeah. And now, of course, you, you just pull up your CAD files and you're off to the races. So this, this was becoming a more of a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the pandemic accelerated that trend as we move back towards um, the work and home and my home space and my workspace. The only difference, I think, is that because of the labor shortage, I do think we've taken a step, a little bit of a step where the worker has a little more leverage. And so, yes, I'm working from home because I don't want to go into the office. I don't want to commute. I want to spend more time with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I want more control over my workplace. I don't want to work in a cubicle. So it's this weird sort of detente where the businesses need people to work more and they need to work more at home and the people want to work more at home. And so they're working more from home. I'm not sure that that's that 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 the strict division where you know the government passes a okay, we have a 35 at least in the United States. I can't speak to other places. Uh, we have a 35-hour work week now, and once you're done at 4 in the afternoon, you put down your laptop and you literally do no work until you come back in Monday yeah. morning. I don't know I don't know if that's necessarily coming back. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. So you're uh, saying we might end up with a worse work-life balance. I don't, but I don't know. I mean, it's different, you know, like... For example, is it is it a worse work-life balance if you choose to work from home to spend more time with your kids and to avoid your commute? Isn't that a better work-life balance? Even if you're working more hours, but you're... I don't know. Working I when you know. want? I don't know. I think there's... These are, yeah, that's sort of the question. It's complicated. It is I mean, complicated. It has to be a better work-life balance if that's what people are choosing, right? Usually work-life... A worse work-life balance means people are, the company wants you to do stuff. I'm doing it, but I don't want to do those things. Yeah, yeah. So if you're doing the things that people want to do, I think by definition, that's a better work-life balance just because the worker is assuming it. But it's just, it's just interesting, this, this, this sort of pendulum shift back yeah. and forth. Um, and especially as we get into a gig economy and people are, you know, contractors and have their own businesses or have side businesses. It's, I know it sounds weird. It's looking a lot more like the Gilded Age when it comes to work. It's work. I mean, I guess that's a little complicated, but it does, you know, there is the, you know, sort of more independent, more independent, um, independence and less of a reliance on a giant multinational corporation that's structuring how everything works and where the headquarters are and what and you know what the dress yeah. code is and right. when and you work and how when, you work and when you have to be uh, on campus you know? yeah 
exactly exactly um so i i find that i find that fascinating and what drew people into the office back in the day by the way which you know everyone forgets about is that there were a lot of perks to working in person they made it worth the workers while in a lot of cases especially in more intellectual higher paid positions um you know when you got started in your career what did business travel compensation look like uh i don't know as a, as a consultant what would they pay for well i mean i pushed them but um yeah i mean they i, I remember when i worked for another company uh, they assumed you were going to travel on saturdays and sundays so that you could do billable work on Mondays through Fridays. And the fact that you <laughs> lost your entire weekend because you were traveling, they didn't care. And they didn't pay you for that time. Mm. So I, I don't That's know. pretty rough. Yeah, that, that was not good. <laughs> yeah, I think things, yeah, I think things are changing. Uh, we'll see if it sticks. I think the... I, I think the work-life balance is a big deal right now and is complicated. And for some people, that means not having to go into the office. But for other people, you know, working from home might make the work-life balance harder. I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think it's complicated. But I am very curious to see what happens as we as we move forward. Mm. Okay. All right, mm-hmm. Guthrie, we are, we've managed to use up our entire allotted time, which we always do. And if people want to get hold of us, and if, they, and if you guys have any comments on any of these things, please do let us know. What is the best way to get hold of us? I can email info at the teamw.com. Um, okay. Just get in touch with me. Okay. Um, I don't know, yeah, check out, so check out some more free courses, courses.theteamw.com. Yeah. Um, Thank oh, you, Guthrie. Anything else we should plug? No, I don't think so. I'm glad to be back on the horse, off the wagon, and on the wagon. I don't know. Right. I don't know which which one it is. <laughs> and hopefully, so. we can we will do some more. Po- we probably can do some more frequent podcasts because, you know, it's we're coming up into the holiday time, and which means all of our clients go on vacation, so it might free us up. Okay. Uh, thanks for the chance, and I uh, hope everyone has a great um, sort of holiday. As end of year. Holiday and end, end of, of year, year time. And, yeah. And uh, uh, glad, uh, glad we could record a podcast. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.